Hello and welcome to Poetry in Albra's podcast series. Our weekend festival of readings, workshops, open mic and more take place during November each year. This recording was made during our 2020 festival via Zoom. We hope you enjoy it. We're going to be here for the next hour and uh, we're going to have small intervals between the poets to look at illustrations that Henny has actually um, done of their work. So these poets are extremely lucky to have had a poem from each of their books illustrated by Henny. And she's going to talk a little bit about that process of illustration. So I'm delighted to be the host for this event. And I'm going to introduce our four poets and our first reader. Our first reader for this afternoon is Richard Skinner, who is joining us from London. His first poetry appeared in the Faber Anthology, First Pressings, 1998. And since then in anthologies for William Blake, John Berger, Calm and Médecins Sans Frontières. He's published three books of poems with Smokestack, The Light to Use a Scheme in 2013, Terrace in 2015, and The Malvern Aviator in 2018. His next book, Invisible Sun, will be published by Smokestack in June 2021. I'm delighted to introduce Richard Skinner. Hi, Paul. Um, thank you, everyone, for um, being here. This is my first time in Albright, as it were. Um, so I'm really happy to be here. Uh, I just want to thank Paul Stevenson and Claire Best for the invitation and to them and their team for putting on such a, a great lineup under what must be really tricky circumstances. Um, <clears throat> so thank you very much. And just a quick hello to my Faber Academy crew, who uh, many of whom I can see here today. Thanks for joining. Um, uh, yes, as Paul said, uh, I have a new pamphlet coming out in, in June. It was due to come out in, in the next couple of months, but as with everything else, coronavirus pushed it back. But I've chosen um, seven poems from it to read to you this afternoon. And these are the seven that I think fit in best with the themes of objects and inquiry, um, which fits in very well with, with the poems and the work in, in the pamphlet. <clears throat> So the, the first of these poems is called The Egg, and um, it's part of a, a short suite of poems, four poems, collectively called um, Corridors and Wards. Uh, and these were all written, as the name suggests, in a hospital when my mum was, was uh, in hospital last year and, and sadly um, passed away. And to my astonishment, I found myself writing a great deal whilst I had all this time um, in these corridors and wards um, in response to, to what was happening, I guess, and, and as a way of dealing with it. And um, I put the four, some of the best ones, four of the best ones together. Um, and I'll read the second one from that sequence. So this is called The Egg. I am holding an egg in my hand, one of life's joys, so perfect in shape, so simple yet complex. 
But of course, I'm not really talking about an egg. I'm really talking about my mother. The egg is just a portal, a vehicle merely to talk about my mother, not one of life's joys. Not simple, but still complex. What's a poem for? To unlock the secrets of the universe, to release the potential of inanimate objects, like eggs and mothers, which are both part of the same big question, which I can and can't talk about in a poem. Um, the second poem is called Candling. And um, I don't know if, if you know what that is, but um, for those of you who don't, candling is, is when you hold up an egg to a candle to check for defects. A rather lovely process, I think. Um, so this is called, this is called um, candling. Mrs. Miller lies prone and stoned, gazing at a marble egg tracing the red lines of rivers on fire, the dull glare of invisible suns. The winter lady's head, as graceful as a Grecian urn, the blue veins snaking through, mottling the alien skin. Checking the egg for flaws, she holds it up to the candle then, checking her heart for the missing beat, she finds a bullet in the Bible. I love um, mazes and labyrinths, fascinated by, um, by them. And this next poem is about walking in a maze. Um, and it's a pantoum, um, which is a a poem form with a lot of repeating lines. Um, you'll see what I mean. It's quite a simple um, structure, but it's a very beautiful uh, way of, of gaining meaning out of repetition. It's a bit like a villanelle. Um, and it's called Organ of Corti. And the Organ of Corti is, is in our ears and it's the speaker in our ears. It's the part of our ears that makes us be able to listen so uh, this poem is called Organ of Corti. In order to reach the center, we must turn away. Because we are bound by walls, we cannot go where we like. Our mind is shaped as a maze is wrought. The life of the mind, the knot in the beard. We are bound by walls, we cannot go where we like. The figure in the carpet, hidden in plain sight. The life of the mind, the knot in the beard. The still intense sun of a late afternoon. The figure in the carpet, hidden in plain sight. Each time we make a choice, we lose a little more of the still intense sun of a late afternoon. We follow the path offered in order to reach the center. And each time we make a choice, 
we lose a little more of our mind that is shaped as a maze is wrought. We follow the path offered in order to reach the center and in order to reach the center, we must turn away. Um, I, I lived in Italy for um, a few years in my early 20s and uh, I came across a beautiful painting when I was there, which has always stayed with me. Um, and this poem is called White Balloons. The first nurse, Ida Sessions, carries her white balloon. It is heavy as lead, dead weight. She lives with it, calls it her monkey. The second nurse, Jackie Lamanchik, is a carer, a dreamer. Her white balloon is going to carry her away one day. The third nurse, ID unknown, is more earnest. She tussles with her white balloon, legs akimbo, telling it off for aimless wandering. The land is scrub, the trees low and gnarled, their few leaves a blur. The Casablanca on the horizon hasn't been lived in for years. Um, this next poem is called Boxes and it appeared in a, a, a brilliant anthology edited by Helen Calcutt called 84, which, was, um, which is the number of, of um, men who commit suicide in the UK every week. And we were asked to write a, a poem in response to suicide and grief. And I was very proud to be in that anthology. It was extremely, it was extremely good. Um, so check it out if, uh, if you fancy that. It's, it's full of fantastic poems. This one's called Boxes. You always hated my boxes. The black belt box with its gold lettering. The Art Nouveau tin of mints from Montreux. The red marbled box that held a bottle of wine. You never understood why I kept them in my wardrobe. The top cupboard in the kitchen is always empty. Why? you asked. Then your mother died and you snapped like elastic. Your breath turned sour and you drank wine all of the day and all of the night. Our grief composes itself in the whole space of the upper body and comparts itself into packets, boxes, that only then can I throw away. Um, the pamphlet ends with a, a few um, poems about sort of more e ecology based themes. Um, <clears throat> this one is called Sky with Four Suns, uh, which is the name of a piece of music by John Adams, um, which is stunning. Um, so do, do check that out if you fancy it. It's, it's very short, extremely beautiful. 
So I've nicked the title from, from his piece. It's called Sky with Four Suns. The first sun, a time bomb, was sucked into a black bucket and then, boom. Its igneous nodes touched and sparked a blackout for eons. The second sun was ferrous, burnished as a shield, only coming into focus when it burned redly through the blizzards. The third sun was a blank placeholder, a luminous ring empty inside, a winter white afterglow rather than a furnace. The fourth sun, our sun, is a yellow light of feeling in our plastic Holocene. We kick it with our karmic footprints, but it is still to yield. And yet even light has a shelf life. Um, the next poem is the last poem in the pamphlet. Um, it's called Winterborn. It was written on the winter solstice a few years ago. And in fact, so many poems were being posted on Facebook that winter solstice that Marie Lightman and I put them together into an anthology. Um, so if you're interested, you can go and find that. It's, it's freely available online. Um, so this is my, my contribution to that anthology. It's called Winterborn. Across the river and into the trees, the frightened trees. I am a man lost in space, hurtling through a green passage. Every false morning is a wonder. I am here in the world with you, this white on white world, to see you safely into the day to say that you are dead, now live your life. Um, and Henny, the uh, resident artist, is, um, has very kindly offered to illustrate uh, one poem out of uh, for four of us. And um, so um, I've, I've been asked just to read Candling, which this is the illustration for again. So I'll just read Candling again while, while that is up on the screen. Candling. Mrs. Miller lies prone and stoned, gazing at a marble egg, tracing the red lines of rivers on fire, the dull glare of invisible suns. The winter lady's head as graceful as a Grecian urn, the blue veins snaking through, mottling the alien skin. Checking the egg for flaws, she holds it up to the candle, then checking her heart for the missing beat, she finds a bullet in the Bible. Thank you very much uh, for listening. Um, thanks again, Paul and Claire and your team. Thank you, that's me, Don. And Henny, would you like to say something about the illustration? 
Um, yes, I hope it wasn't too much of a shock for you, Richard. <laughs> um, and that I, I tried to, um, I suppose I went with the ancient Greek um, vase. So um, the colours are supposed to look like sort of Greek ceramics. And then um, to the right, that's a sort of Bible spine. But then I've changed the cross into uh, bullets, um, which snake around the outside as a sort of frame. Beautiful. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Appreciate it so much. It's great. Thank you. Thank you, thank you so much, Richard. Thank you, Henny. Um, those were stunning poems, Richard. Such close observation of patterns and textures and poems that communicate the power of objects like that uh, tin of mints from Montreux, uh, objects that we accumulate and uh, make very difficult decisions about throwing away. Um, thank you for introducing us to Candling. And uh, yeah, the maze is like the mind, isn't it? And, and, and um, the mind is like a maze. Some wonderful lines there. Each time we make a choice, we lose a little more of our mind. In order to reach the center, we must turn away. Thank you very much, Richard. So onto our second poet of this afternoon, Olivia Dawson, who's joining us from Sintra. Olivia Dawson lives between London and Lisbon and is the Poetry Society rep for the Lisbon area. Her debut pamphlet, Unfolded, which I have here, was published in September 2020 with Maytree Press. Originally from London, she's also lived in France and Brazil, where she worked as an EFL teacher before moving to Portugal on a romantic impulse 25 years ago. Poetry came like a bolt out of the blue when she was studying English literature and creative writing as a, she says, very mature student with the Open University. She went on to do an MA with Lancaster University and has been writing poetry ever since. Olivia. Thank you very much. I hope you can all hear me okay. I just want to say a big thank you to Paul, Robin, Claire, everyone who's helped to organize this amazing festival. I think we're really lucky to have had a festival this year. So thank you. I'm going to read from my pamphlet, Unfolded, as Paul said, which was published in September with Maytree Press. And I'm going to show the picture again because I simply love the cover, which was painted by an artist called Alice Parker. And Alice responded to one of my poems, Unstill which I'd written in response to a poem by Philip Larkin called Home is So Sad. And I love the sort of chain of response that's gone on here. Larkin's poem is about how if you leave a home empty, everything stays just as you left it. And his poem ends, you can see how it was. Look at the pictures and the cutlery, the music in the piano stool, that vase. And my response, unstill. This vase moves from room to room, clear fishbowl glass, no fancy decoration, but filled with water and fresh flowers, it opens into a narrative of its own. Don't let this vase sit empty in the kitchen, waiting for armfuls of spring, a trap for dust and paper clips. Fill it to the brim with immortelle. Let it spill over with lollipop daisies, like disco lights to brighten the hall. 
or arrange a display of trickery for a window without a view. Think back to your childhood home where your mother kept this vase beside her bed. Breathe in the cling of her gitane. Feel the sting of her absence. The theme for Unfolded evolved when I found a box of antique hand fans that had belonged to my father. And I remember as a child, there had been fans opened up on display on a shelf. Then they moved home and the fans vanished. And I think when I found the box, they probably hadn't been looked at for 40 to 50 years and they were falling to pieces. And I opened them out one by one and they were threaded and the moth was in there, but I lay them out and I thought they were completely beautiful. And so I wrote the title poem more or less on the spot, unfolded. He spreads his decorative fans wide like can-can dancers legs, which distorts them over time. So he leaves them to languish all rivets and sticks with twists of silk clinging to their ribs. I knew nothing about fans and I was now really intrigued to find out more. And someone told me about the fan museum in Greenwich, which is the most stunning museum. And so I went along there with my very dusty, very moldy box of old fans. They were extremely kind to me. And one of the fans was a brise fan, which is just sticks and the guards, it has no leaf, so it has no silk, no lace. That was the only fan I thought was ugly, but there was a surprise waiting for me at the fan museum at the fan museum. At the fan museum, they lay out a white cloth. Watch me tease fans, frail as birds with broken wings, from tissue paper, musty with moth. Wisps of silk fly out like winged seeds, but nothing disturbs the hush, except my shh of surprise when they say, this brise is very good. Yellowing sticks carved on both sides are clumsy with cherubs who lead the way through dwindling torchlight. Bug-eyed butterflies pull a chariot for a plump goddess, pinioned to her seat by ivory drapes. Mirrored guards dazzle the parade. And maybe between the blades, a name waits to be uncovered. A master fan maker whose fame will sway me to grasp the brilliance of his vignette. I think I must be a sucker of punishment, but I wanted to find out even more about fans. So I decided to go to a fan making workshop also at the fan museum. And I'm not at all gifted, gifted with craft work, but I had a wonderful time. And the title of this poem is Monture. And Monture is the skeleton of the fan, the sticks, the guards and the pivot, the round pivot that holds it all together. Monture. All is quiet in the basement of the fan museum, except the whisper of gift wrap as we flatten it to spread, trace, cut and pleat. We copy from templates, trim carefully in silent meditation, fold our shapes over the lip of the table, push down, slide, meet and repeat until tension feels sweet. 
We watch our cutouts concertina into life, bouncing shadow and light from pleat to pleat. We graduate to the trickier bit, tangle with blades, sticks, ungainly as marionettes, lower guard to the left, upper guard to the right, then a flick of the wrist with quick setting PVC, but nothing disturbs the peace until my fan clings shut and weeps. I'm just going to show you, you probably won't be able to see it at all, but this is what I came up with. And between the, the sticks and the leaf, it are, it's actually torn and you can see all the old glue all sticking out. And that's called a fontange fan because it's higher at the top and it's named after a French headdress. And it's going to reappear in my next poem. Fans hold many secrets and sometimes on the reverse of the fan, the side you don't see, there are secret messages or erotic pictures. Verso, she's not modest, but flounces her lacy fontange. Her pierced gorge glows delicate pink. Tortoiseshell sticks pleat and unpleat, clickety-click. She turns to reveal her secret side. Flashes a glimpse of painted breasts that move like moons in a cartoon flipbook. Boys boating on a sequined lake ruffled by their lively imaginings, hide blushes behind wing booty, fiddle with pretend picnics, sneak sideways glances on the off chance. Another object world I love, just to move away from fans, is mantelpieces, what we put on our mantelpieces, what we don't put on our mantelpieces. And actually now I, I find the Zoom backgrounds fascinating, but I haven't written that poem yet. A few years ago, my daughter at art college made a life-side mantelpiece and she had a bucket of artifacts and she wheeled it around art college with her bucket and people curated their own mantelpieces. Girl with troubling mantelpiece. Watch her dip into her magical box of tricks. Pick a loving cup entwined with alchemist roses. Choose two votive candles pinched from the shrine of Fatima, a hippopotamus matchbook from her father's collection and roll the mantelpiece into her bedroom. What will her lover learn about her? Why? Whatever she wants to put on show. A postcard from Rome with kisses, a diploma in astrophysics, her name enhancing the dotted line perhaps some handcuffs, in case he finds her mismatched filigree wings, tries them for size, takes flight. Just going to read a couple more poems after a sip of water. The next poem are some thoughts of mine on being a gourd. Pear-shaped. I'm a gourd, a wooloo, round as a doorstop with a wobbly bottom that rots on the spot, a simple bowl of water for the birds, a cup of yerba mate to keep away the cold. I'm a hard-skinned calabash, placed just so for target practice, but I spring back up all alone, like a roly-poly clown. Hollow, you can fill me with precious gold, or play me over your knee, 
a sitar player's gorgeous orb. If you get bored, you can kick me over the wall. Watch me soar. And my final poem is about a very ordinary domestic object and a very ordinary domestic scene. And I wrote it for my husband, but he doesn't like me telling anyone that. So please don't let on that you know. Double act. Sometimes I pretend I need your help to change our double duvet cover. You don't understand how the tag at the head ends up at the bottom of the bed or how the faded cover lands right way round. Sometimes I leave you and spy through the keyhole, watch you fight off invaders while you wrestle to reach four corners, diving spread eagle so the edges don't escape. You stretch out to smooth lumpy bumps with your feet, fumbling for poppers. And I duck under to find you, like in the early days, knowing I'll never show you the easier burrito way. Thank you. And then I'm very lucky because Henny has also done a picture for me of my poem Verso. Shall I read that, Paul? Verso. She's not modest, but flounces her lacy fontange. Her pierce gorge glows delicate pink. Tortoiseshell sticks pleat and unpleat. Clickety click. She turns to reveal her secret side. Flashes a glimpse of painted breasts that move like moons in a cartoon flipbook. Boys boating on a sequined lake, ruffled by their lively imaginings, hide blushes behind wing putti, fiddle with pretend picnics, sneak sideways glances on the off chance. Thank you very much. Henny, would you like to say a few words? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not muted, no. Um, yes, I, I don't know, it's very odd hearing the poem again, hearing you read it and how it had taken this form in my head as almost something completely different. <laughs> um, but it just felt like a very sexy poem and I wanted to have a sort of quite a confrontational sexual looking woman um, representing that. So that was the sort of idea behind my picture. I love it, Henny, it's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks very much, Olivia. It's so fantastic that you could take part in the festival. You're, you're there every year in the Jubilee Hall, so it's wonderful you could join us from Portugal. And uh, wonderful reading about, you know, makes us realise how, you know, when we move house and make a new home, our objects do too. They travel both in time and space, like that vase that moves from room to room. I love that line, don't let this vase sit empty in the kitchen waiting for armfuls of spring. And of course, you've, uh, you've opened our eyes to the secret life of fans, the, the lazy fontange with its clickety click like a cartoon flip book. It was beautiful reading, thank you very much. Um, and we're now going to turn to our third and fourth readers, our duo of readers, Julia Bird and Mike Sims. Um, I'm gonna read the two bios together. Uh, Julia Bird grew up in Gloucestershire and now lives in London, where she works for the Poetry Society. Her two poetry collections with Salt Publishing are Hannah and the Monk, 2008, and 24-7 Blossom, 2013. And she recently published 
the stunning paper trail, which is one of the most beautiful books you'll ever open. Um, a poetry artist's book with Mike Sims and Roy Willingham from Blown Rose 2019, only 200 copies made. Now you can look, her Emma Press poetry pamphlet was published in 2017. Through her company, Jayberg Live Literature, she's produced eight touring poetry shows and is currently working on a series of poetry films. Mike Sims has been a collaborator on many art and poetry projects, including Paper Trail, Blown Rose 2019 with Julia, and the artist's book, Letter of Advice to Amy, Letter of, of Advice to Amy by Joseph Cornell 2017, and Restructuranta la Libro. Wow, you can pronounce that better than me, Mike, 2019 with Roy Willingham. His work has appeared in the group exhibitions, Things That Are There, Groundwork, and By The Way. The latter included his artist's book, Eight Divagations 2020, letterpress printed at Pekakariki Press. He was co-founder of the Illustrated Ape magazine. He was born on the Wirral, lives in London, and is publishing manager at the Poetry Society. I'm delighted to welcome Julia Bird and Mike Sims. Thanks, Paul. Thank you, everybody. And, and firstly, thank you so much to um, Paul and Robin and Claire and Henny, the uh, Poetry and Albright team. Um, we're delighted to have been invited to take part. Um, uh, we've been going backwards and forwards to various festivals and poetry events in Albright for years and years. And um, so pleased that we managed to make it happen um, uh, even, even virtually this year. Um, so we are going to read from Paper Trail. Hold a book up, Mike paper trail um which is uh, a book that arose from a game um and that feels very fitting for uh, a festival one of whose whose themes is is play um the gist of the game uh, was that we sent each other objects through the post uh, to write uh, strange strange prompts to write poems about. Um, we did it 14 times, so we've got seven poems each. Uh, it took us 18 months to write these, these um, 14 poems and we didn't talk about the project for the entire duration um, of those 18 months. So I think we're just gonna start by reading a poem each. Uh, I am going to read. I'm going to read the poem. Here it is. So this poem was inspired by this thing that Mike sent me. I don't know if you can see it. It's a cassette box with a handwritten track listing. It's something that somebody has made um, by recording things off the radio and recording uh, like their own vinyl. Um, it didn't have a it didn't have a tape in it. It's just the box. Um, and so the poem is a sort of conversation poem and it's got uh, two, um, two characters in it. They're, they're, their names are also numbers. Do you like it better living now or did you like it better living then? Asks nine. 43 leans in, talks about a time when 14 couldn't speak. 14 would pick a track and order it on tape something from the radio to follow something seven inch, each song selected for its lyric or its beat or the brassy heartbreak of its hook. A two bar word, a minor chord, that was how she'd say once upon an A side to B side ever after to the one the mixtape was a gift for. 
14, hadn't learnt the art of saying, this is what I want, but wrote her liner notes, the name of the singer, the chart position of the song in scented glitter pen. Open up its plastic box on part of a postcard or a photo cut slant from a magazine. That half-heard image, that fragment of a thought was the mixtape's theme. A dozen tapes on a bedside shelf from 14 to 15. Darling, there are many thens, and this was only one. Have I answered your question? Um, <clears throat> hello, everybody. Um, what a pleasure to be here. Auburn was the first festival I went to. Here I am again, reading. That seems amazing to me. Uh, thank you so much. Um, we're joining uh, Richard in his maze and um, Olivia in her double act. We're very glad to be here in our bubble reading to you. I'm going to read a poem that was inspired by this postcard. Uh, you can see is a very, very old photograph of a very terrifying looking Gloria Swanson taken by Edward Steichen. Um, and Julia sent me a slightly tatty postcard <clears throat> with that image on. I didn't know what to do with that. Um, and then I had to deliver some proofs um, in the pouring rain uh, to somebody. And then I thought, oh, I think I might have found my poem. So it's called PT02, because that's how it is with Paper Trail. She read her line, rain, as a welcome displacement after dry days of callbacks and no job to speak of, as film rain, rearing in fear from the hero, cantering heavily, heavily along the middle of the road, as a ridden down rain of high-sided dispute, as a bayant, conducive, held tight to the bend, rain fooled into sleet, as snow rain scumbling each delicate cell flecked gray at the pane, inducing its neighbor to settle and blend, a flowering like lace on her face as a veil. As rain, like the curtains of twitching apartments, where a goon twists his beer and a girl lifts a ladle. Rain, the solution from places where pinned. Thunderous rain, the kind gets you fame. Um. What we're going to do now is play a game, um, play another game. Um, this is a project that has occupied us for a couple of years now, hasn't it? It's ages. Ages and ages. It's something that has been a profound and enjoyable creative um, uh, experience for us, and we never tire uh, of talking to each other about it. Um, Mike has made these beautiful chance cards, like Monopoly. And on each of these chance cards, there's a question. I'm going to ask him one. He's going to ask me one. We don't know what the questions are. Um, uh, so instant, playful interview. Give me a number between one and four. Four. Always. Four. OK, so in the exchange of objects, gotcha. which went backwards and forwards 14 times, was there a moment when you opened an envelope and thought, what the hell? Um, there was, there was, um, I got a hand wipe. I thought that's not a very poetical object, uh, at all. Um, what else did I get? Oh, I got a printout. Oh, that's the there's, hand wipe. There's the hand wipe. Yeah. Aeroflot hand wipe. I got this. Um, I don't know how clearly you'll be able to see that, but it's a rather, uh, scuzzy printout, 
of a two-handed manual alphabet used by many sighted deaf people um, with, um, you know, how to make the signs. And I thought, well, that's just tatty, Julia. Um, that's not going to inspire a poem <laughs> that. Um, so, yes, there certainly ah, were. Is okay. that enough answers? No, that's fine, yeah. yes. Yeah, I think so. Oh, your turn. Okay. One to four, Julia. Uh, three. Okay. Uh, Leanne Chapton. Oh, Question. Yes. A big influence. <laughs> Not that I prepared at all, but this book by Leanne Chapton um, is something that really influenced this project. This book is called Important Artifacts and Personal Property from the Collection of Lenore Doolan and Harold Morris, including books, street fashion and jewellery, Saturday the 14th of February 2009, New York. And it's in the form of a um, auctioneer's catalogue. And it's lots and lots of um, strange bits of ephemera. They're here. I'm looking at a page with a pair of pajamas on. Um, here's um, uh, an umbrella or a message from on a piece of hotel note paper. And it's the story of a relationship told in the um, auctioneer's descriptions of a um, of all these objects. And we love that idea, didn't we? So yeah. we sort of we adapted that a little bit. Um, so it was a big influence. I really recommend getting this. I bought this for one p from a from Abe Books, I think, uh, but it's worth much more than one p. It's called. Somebody has asked in the chat. Um, Important artifacts and personal property from the collection of Lenore Doolan and Harold Morris, including books, street fashion, and jewellery. We better write that down. Yeah, I'll, I'll do write it that down. Yeah. Okay. It's quite a lot of typing. Uh, somebody's asked about the link, so somebody else can put the link. Well, in we'll there. we'll do that yeah. too. Um, but mixing plain and poetical, if there is such a thing as poetical, but certainly mixing in plain in the act of writing poetry was a really important part of the project for us. Are we on okay. the next stage now? Yes. yes. So we're going to move from playing Monopoly Swiftly with each on. other Swiftly on. to um, another sort of game. We've a game some, with a sound. We've got some dice here. And we're now going to throw the dice and whatever number we get is the poem that we're going to read. Who's ever it's by, by the way. So it might not be my poem read by me. It might be your poem read by me and vice versa. But let's do that. I'm shaking the dice. Sounds. Seven. Uh, seven. Am I reading seven? You read seven. Okay. We've rehearsed this over and over, but still questions. Still questions. Right. Um... Oh, this is such a beautiful poem. Oh dear, I've probably given away that it's not mine. Oh well, um, it's PT07 and it was inspired by uh, a very tatty copy of um, uh, a recording of La Mer um, by, uh, by Debussy, you all know that, which I know, which was found in a charity shop. I have given the clue away, haven't I really? Anyway, I'm gonna read this one. So beautiful. No one is content who comes to the threshold of the sea, not the mother jumping her baby over the broken waves and counting with him, one, two, 13, 24, not the captain of the boat who rules a white wake from port to port, then rubs it through on the crossing home. I was brought to the sea and make no sense of it. It's blues a lie. It's blues by order of the weather or the watch. How much of the sea is its colour? How much its fathom crush, which were I to sink to its bed, would seal the hollow places that arrayed me? How much its throb and swell? Say a body of water set between two cliffs is the sea. 
say a bucket of water lugged slopping up the beach is the sea. That the sea is dripping hair and the oyster taste of skin. Bottle of air, this is the date and here is my address. Right. Um, I'm going to reveal that's by Julia, but also that I got that poem handwritten in a bottle. So it was a message in a bottle, which is a lovely touch, I thought. Anyway, that's by the by. On we go. Okay, you shake, you, the, you dice. shake the dice. Can you hear that? Eight. Eight. I am going to read poem number eight. Uh, which was inspired by the deaf. Um, it was. Yes, yeah. the very poem. So this is the poem that was inspired by the um, manual alphabet. To the common at sundown, a few miles west, was a treat before bed. Though I only remember us leant against the fence, looking over at horses, tugging at the turf, their rib racks, eyes blue, dick or two loose. Who cried out first? Mum? When the nag bit her blown rose dress, you, as your fist caught its low-slung jaw, or the horse, rocking back on an excess of heels, stung stupid and uglier away to the herd. I may have said, is the horse hurt, Daddy? No, the sod, a family curse of effrontery, regret. And the thing you'd see, years gone, on the ward? Just a naughty horse, Daddy. Not the dragon that you thought. I love that poem. I didn't write that, but I do. Oh, like um, Roy Willingham, who's the artist in this book, is here. Um, it's delightful to see him here. And he did a particularly wonderful illustration. I hope you can see that a bit, at least. It's like a horse um, shape. Uh, inspired by that poem. So we, we gave our poems to Roy and he came back with images. So it was a kind of an, a project in parallel. They're not illustrative. Um, and we're so delighted with them. It's lovely to see you here, Roy. Right, I'm going to shake the dice again now. And Lisa in the chat has, what happens if you get a seven again or an eight? We'll, we'll cheat. We'll cross that bridge when yeah, we come to cheat. it. Right, shake him. Nine. <laughs> if we it were... really is nine. We're not cheating. Uh, right, okay. Nine is... Sorry, sorry, sorry. Nine is... Oh, this is nice. What's it inspired by? Oh, it's inspired by um, uh, this, a postcard uh, of the marionettes for the film, Oh, What a Lovely War. And Anne Perrin, um, whose family was responsible for making these marionettes, was in our workshop earlier. I hope I might be here now. Um, but they're beautiful things. And, and that postcard appeared to one of us and we passed it on to inspire a poem. This is the poem, PT09. At the age of nearly 12, I fell in love with the white faux fur bear I saw in a high street hallmark window. I knew even then to open the birthday bidding war from a fixed position of unassailable power. So sat cross-legged on the floor, set my voice to its kitten treble register and began, he's very cute. He's what I want, mum. I swear he's the final bear. I won't want another ever. He lived among the first rank at foot of my bunk slung about with the coils of a grey plush snake bedmate to a two-foot mouse, a six-inch horse, and a worn-out velvet rabbit, the turquoise colour of raspberry flavour. No babies or Barbies, puppets, 
as when I played, I was less concerned with plot than I was with character. I called him Sebastian and taught myself to knit by making him a woolen scarf in six different stitches and 10 different shades with a pom-pom fringe and his sewn on name. And who's to say he did not feel the warmth. Roll me a number. Oh. Five. Five. It works. Five. Oh no, we've read five. Have we read five? Yeah. Oh, I'll throw again. Yeah. Eleven. Eleven. How are we doing for time, Paul? We're going to stop in a minute. We're okay at the moment. Okay. Oh, hooray. I'm going to read 11. Oh, um, yeah. Do you want to show them what 11 was inspired yeah, I by? I No, hang on. It's, uh, it's, 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 oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is a quite a surprising one. This is a publication from uh, Lee Valley, and it's the Lee Valley Angling Guidebook. Get hooked. It's a beautiful print job. There's a great deal of gloss print in this book, and it's full of enormous fish. I thought, well, sorry, we thought it was the perfect thing. I see Tammy laughing. It is the perfect thing for a poem, Tammy, don't you think? Uh, okay, so I think it's no, <laughs> <laughs> it, would, it would be no secret to reveal that this is a poem that I wrote. So, compiling her CV, Pearl recalls the all day seafood restaurant she waitressed at for summer after summer and how she knocked back oyster jokes from diner after diner with this is nominative determinism and that is lemon juice. Two tropical aquaria, 2,000 gallons apiece, stood toplit and bubbling each side of the door into the kitchen, full of angels and puffers butting their tight mouths against the glass. Shoals of silver inches, each fish red-lit or blue-lit with the central stroke zipped and skewed about the tank. Pearl believed that when she turned her back, they grouped themselves together into words, nose to tail in neon signs, liquor store, striptease. Once, serving scampi and garden to madam, haddock and mushy to sir, who had not swapped a word or speculative confidence or thought all night, Pearl placed the basket of condiments, the vinegar, the salt, the plump little pillows of tartar and HP at the edge of their table, so far beyond arm's reach that to season their supper with acid, mineral or herb, one of the pair was going to have to surely crack. And Paul, maybe, do you want us to talk to Henny? About... It would be wonderful if, um, if uh, we could bring up the illustrations that Henny has yeah, done on your poem. That was what Henny I'll bring up your, your poem, Julia. Your illustration. Okay. And you could read your poem, perhaps. I've just read it. That's it. <laughs> Again, read it once more, please. It'd be another, another go. Look at that. I just have to look at it first. Ah, brilliant. I love the little sachet of HP. Thank you very much, Henny. That's great. That's a fish and all the bubbles. Uh, I did a lot of waitressing in early years, so that poem was... Um, uh, that's where that came from. Can we hear the poem again, Julia, while the yeah. illustration's up? Yes, let's do it. Okay. Compiling her CV, Pearl recalls the all-day seafood restaurant she waitressed at for summer after summer, and how she knocked back oyster jokes from diner after diner with this is nominative determinism and that is lemon juice. Mm -hmm. 
Two tropical aquaria, 2,000 gallons apiece, stood toplit and bubbling each side of the door into the kitchen, full of angels and puffers butting their tight mouths against the glass. Shoals of silver inches, each fish red-lit or blue-lit with a central stroke, zipped and skewed about the tank. Phil believed that when she turned her back, they grouped themselves together into words, nose to tail in neon signs, liquor store, striptease. Once serving scampy and garden to madam, haddock and mushy to sir who had not swapped a word or speculative confidence or thought all night, Pearl placed the basket of condiments, the vinegar, the salt, the plump little pillows of tartar and HP at the end of their table so far beyond arm's reach that to season their supper with acid, mineral or herb, one of the pair was going to have to surely crack. Thank you very much. Thank you. Henny. Yeah. Um, yeah, when I read this poem, I immediately wanted to draw Pearl, um, but there was special instructions not to draw Pearl because she's going to have a big reveal. Is that right at some point? Uh, I think we never want to see what she looks like. I've, oh, I've yeah. read okay. more Pearl poems and um, yeah. we, I, don't, I don't want her to be visible. I, I, think, I think it speaks of how intriguing Pearl is that I immediately wanted to draw her, but I very much enjoyed drawing HP Source, yeah. so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Great, and let's have Mike's, uh, let's have Mike's illustration. Perhaps you could read your poem, Mike. Look I will, that. I look. will. Oh, that's absolutely Isn't it beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. Oh, look, there's two aeroplanes. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. No, yes. Yeah. Wow, that's quite something, Henny. Thank you so much. Um, it's slightly ominous, and there is a kind of ominous note to the poem. Anyway, I'll read it. Whole buildings turn, after all. St George's in Bloomsbury, can you tell, on a site too small for traditional prayers, once faced north, twice east. Pulpit and pews cut loose over centuries, God being everywhere, where else? And then there's the vacancies tended as airspace, Miles of emptying sea and sky, rippling the nets of the scrutinous satellites, flashing nothing to see here, no, nothing to report. Well, look, doesn't all that solid melt? Once an in-flight magazine adrift on my lap, I saw the aircraft's shadow plundering the clouds as a risen thought darkening a brain. Is anything the matter? My companion asked, it being aeroflot. It was too close a call. Mm. Any? Um, yeah, I just felt like I could go anywhere with this poem. I kind of, you know, could have drawn the guy with the magazine on his knee, or I could have just done done, done the site of the church. But it, it felt like there was a lot of space for interpretation, and the, as you said, there was a but there was a real sense of sort of um, menace in the poem at the same time. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed illustrating it because of it sort of open, the open nature of it. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much, Penny. Thank you so much, Julia and Mike. I think you've all inspired us. You know, the idea of uh, writing poems prompted by hand wipes and scuzzy printouts mm. from uh, auctioneer catalogues with their own descriptions of objects. Um, really, really inspiring. And uh, some wonderful lines there. Um, Mum, when the nag 
bit her blown rose dress. And I love that poor boy pleading for the final bear. Um, some beautiful lines, once upon an A-side. And there were many thens, and this was only one. Thank you for such beautiful poems. And thank you to all three readers for, for just such a brilliantly cohesive um, set of readings that inquire about objects and, um, and truly bring them to life. And what we're gonna do just now in the last couple of minutes is Henny um, is gonna share with us a few of the portraits that she's been doing um, during this session. This is really good. I, I have to say, I completely forgot I was supposed to be drawing. I was uh, transfixed <laughs> by your first poem. And I suddenly thought, shit, I'm supposed to be drawing you. But anyway, so it was quite hurried. Lovely. That's definitely Richard. Yeah, and I really, what I'm really enjoying on the Zoom, which Olivia alluded to, is how you get these very odd angles of and peculiar things going on in in the background. Um, so that's Richard. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Henny. Pleasure. Uh, here's Olivia. <laughs> it's great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Love so it. You can see all uh, all the work I've done over the uh, I was going to say the week. It feels like a week of the weekend um, <laughs> is all on my Instagram and Twitter. So um, or will this lot will be, but all the other stuff is already, and that's just Henny Beaumont. Um, and this is uh, Mike. I have never drawn someone who has fidgeted so much. <laughs> <laughs> Can you stop moving? Um, so there's a very important. <laughs> I think I think that is me fidgeting. I think that's just me. <laughs> Yeah, you were really. I nearly wrote in the messages, sit still, but I thought that was bossy. And I thought, actually, you obviously don't sit still. So there we go. And uh, here you go, Julia, who sat beautifully. Beautiful. <laughs> Very good. Treat. Thank what you treat. very much. I like that. Looks like New York behind us with mm, those bookshelves. That's where we are. Yeah. 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 Well, the kind of whole busyness and the kind of liveness of your reading, I wanted to try and get into the drawing. Yeah, because yeah, it was lovely. Fantastic. How about that? Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. So thank you to everybody. Thank you to all our readers, Richard Skinner, Olivia Dawson, Julia Bird, Mike Sims, and our artist in residence, Henny Beaumont. That was a brilliant reading on perception, but it was also brilliantly playful and inquired about place as well. So it ticked all the boxes for our festival themes. Thank you very much for joining us, everybody.